Hello and welcome to this special City of Fremantle Hungerford Award edition of the Fremantle Press podcast. Today we are recording on Wayulup in Wajak Noongar Puja and I'd like to acknowledge our first storytellers along with the Noongar elders past, present and future. My name is Maria Pappas. My novel Skimming Stones won the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award in 2020. I'm delighted to be asked to help introduce you all to the next round of Hungerford writers, those four shortlisted writers waiting expectantly for the announcement of the winner on Thursday the 20th of October. Shortlisting and the eventual win for me, was super affirming. Aside from publication, it's given me the confidence to keep writing and it was the boost I needed to begin my next story. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from all of these people. Today's guest is Marie O'Rourke, whose manuscript is a work of narrative nonfiction called Kintsuki. Listeners, please note that Marie's work does depict scenes of emotional abuse, so please exercise discretion if this kind of material is challenging for you. Let's hear from Fremantle Press publisher Georgia Richter about why she chose this manuscript for the shortlist. Narrative nonfiction or creative nonfiction, as it's also known, can be really challenging to write. And the pact with the reader is the material must be true. So the story is in a way already set down. However, the art of telling that story really lies in the carefulness of selection. In her collection of essays, which is titled Kintsugi, Marie has written meditations that are about the intersection of memory and personal life. And its themes include loss and grief and violence and love and different kinds of human connection. And though the content itself can at times be confronting, they're written with such delicacy that they really draw the reader in and they also make a space for the reader to respond to the material and think about how that might apply to them. And another thing I loved about this is the way that the people in this story are presented with complexity over time, so they're not always the same and things change. And Kintsugi is a work that is gentle and wise and it has really stayed with me. And now let's hear from the writer herself. Marie spent many years reading, analysing and teaching the stories of others before working up the nerve to start shaping her own. Fascinated by the multiplicity and mutability of self, Marie's writing focuses on the contradictions and quirks of memory and identity. Her essays have been published in respected national and international journals such as AB, Axon, Essay Daily, Median, Meniscus, New Writing, Text and Westerly. Marie holds a PhD from Curtin University where she now teaches across the creative writing, English and cultural studies and professional writing and publishing departments. Marie, welcome to the podcast and congratulations. Thanks, Maria. I'm happy to be here. First up, tell me something about yourself that's not in your official writing bio note. Well, I suppose I'd have to say that a career and probably a life highlight for me was having the opportunity to work with the original manuscript of George Eliot's Middlemarch at the British Library back in 2017. I've always claimed Middlemarch is one of my favourite books ever since I read it as a 19-year-old and I was thinking around ideas for my manuscript. I knew I needed to write somehow about that story and what it meant to me. Um, I've always been a scribbler and an underliner in my books and decided to base an essay on what I could learn of my old 19-year-old self from rereading um, 
my original penguin copy. Um, and I found it really fascinating, the earlier self that I had in the scribbles and the way my perspective on the different characters and the plot of Middlemarch had changed. So then to get to see Elliot's own handwriting, smudges, corrections, um, tea stains and all, it was a real thrill. And I felt like I could sense her mind moving, just like I saw my own mind moving out in the marginalia on my pages. You have a PhD from Curtin University, a strong publication background, and you yourself teach creative writing. With all that experience, are you still excited about being shortlisted for the City of Fremantle Hungerford Award? And if so, why? Yes, of course I'm excited, ridiculously so. I suspect I sounded like one of those radio show winners who just keeps squealing when I received the call from Georgia and Claire to let me know that I was shortlisted. It's a huge honour to be considered for such a significant prize and just incredibly satisfying to know that my words managed to connect with the judges that Kintsugi's voice could be heard and appreciated. I think as a writer, that's what you're always hoping for and working towards. The thought of possible publication and connection with many more readers is absolutely thrilling to me, but admittedly a little bit terrifying too, given that my life is the core of the subject matter in the book. Your writing is narrative nonfiction and you say it focuses on the contradictions and quirks of memory. Would you mind describing the manuscript in more detail for our listeners? The Japanese art of Kintsugi provides the title for my work and its philosophy really drives the whole collection. So Kintsugi is also known as golden joinery and it's a process where um, they repair broken ceramic with scenes of gold lacquer. So they draw attention to the sites of damage rather than than trying to camouflage them. So like the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, Kintsugi is all about embracing imperfection, celebrating strength and beauty within breakage, And my manuscript works to do the same thing. It's a collection of experimental personal essays. It explores a series of difficult and defining relationships in my life. But through a voice and imagery, which I hope um, has a fairly delicate touch and alludes to trauma and sadness rather than really leaning into them. It shares the specifics of my life as I remember it. um, But it works with pretty universal themes around identity, celebration and mourning, the power of familial relationships, transgression, forgiveness. It's also a lot about the nature of memories generally and how memory works on us as we work on it over time. So each essay in the manuscript stands alone but builds on and talks to the others. It's non-linear but you do see the speaker grow and develop as she moves from a really fraught father-daughter relationship into relationships with other men Um, evolves aesthetics and taste against and in line with those she's grown up with. She shifts from being a daughter and a sister to becoming a mother herself and develops into a serious reader who interrogates her relationship with what she reads. The writing in the collection also really tries to mimic the way my mind works and show the way that memories and traces of ourself can be held within anything and everything if we look closely, be that a recipe notes scrawled in the margin of a book, a piece of knitting or sewing or a song. We've asked you to read something from Kitsuki for us. Marie, you can start whenever you're ready. Thanks, Maria. Asbestos walls which caved easily to Dad's fist heal. So too the wood veneer furniture. It's slippery gloss scarred, pale ply shards breaking through. This in a room of peeling wallpaper where two couches and two chairs huddle, their coarse brown Berber fabric snagging fingernails or rough heels. 
One arm of mum's chair sags slightly, like that of a stroke patient. Heavy pine coffee table sits nearby, bought at a local shopping centre to display. It's the handiwork of inmates from Fremantle Prison. If he is home, my father stretches on this lounge room floor, cushion under and arms behind his head, ankles crossed. We watch TV without conversation. Nestled on mum's lap, the steady thump of her heart reverberates through the chain bracelet of my spine. I can't see his face, so I watch those feet carefully. Know they will rub together as he snarls or complains. When they go limp and fall softly sideways, gentle snores will follow. With the inhale and exhale of his breath, our bodies soften, shoulders drop and fingers uncurl. The carpet beneath him is a swirl of browns and yellows. I sometimes lie on my stomach and trace the patterns. They don't go anywhere. Up close, I realise just how knotted and tangled they are. Can see the pile and tuft of the carpet, threadbare patches where the webbing shows through. Mum still has nightmares that she's back, living there with him, even now, almost 25 years on, and Dad over 10 years dead. We are always children in her dreams. And though the plot changes slightly, most often it centres on a black bottomless pool which appears in our backyard. We three girls skirt around its rim, fascinated, edging closer and peering in. I dream of that house too. Of my life's five homes, it's the one I keep returning to, though in ever-changing shapes and forms. It's always our old house, yet it's not. Still, there's something that tells me where I am, even when the markers are skewed and awry. One night I woke in tears, my heart thumping. The details flooded in. Amelia Street, late at night. I was awake, dad asleep. Outside, loud banging and breaking glass. There were no curtains, so I crept and crawled, the carpet rough under my elbows and knees as I tried to remain out of view. Peering out, I watched a man swagger along the street, crowbar in hand, caving in bonnets and sides of parked cars. Behind the etched glass of our front door, a shadow was looming, coming up our driveway, then the front steps. Suddenly, Dad was behind me, threw open the door and confronted him, despite my protests. There was muscling up, some angry words. The stranger shifted tack and Dad was suddenly calm, reasoning, talking it through. Dropping the crowbar, the man turned and wandered away. Dad quietly shut the door, said, time for bed, Ray. That nightmare was well over a year ago. Come to think of it, I haven't dreamed of Amelia Street since. I love the piece, Marie. I really enjoyed the way you've described setting in this piece and the way the setting and the characters interact together. From the extract, my feeling is that you've taken an ugly situation and transformed it with beautiful words and a kind of gentle distance from the material. Was that deliberate? I'm delighted to hear you say that because that sense of capturing both beauty and brokenness is what the manuscript is really driven by. I love books that can do that. Um, recently, I've read Maps of Our Spectacular Bodies by Maddie Mortimer, and though that's fiction, I feel it works in a similar vein. So a friend and I have got a standing joke about my inability to ever write about anything that's just plain happy. Even when I start from a point of happiness, I seem to find myself digging below the surface to sort of see what, what's lurking underneath. I'm really fascinated by the unconscious and the, the way we get sort of revelations through memory and dreams, which I think comes out in that extract. 
I don't like people who dismiss life, life writing as therapy, and lots of people do. But my research and writing, I have to admit, has all been focused on finding a better understanding of not just what I think and feel or remember, but why. And I'm always trying to find new ways and better ways to capture the sort of contradictions and complexities that I find within the people, the places and the emotions of my life. To do that, I do think you really need to create a distance between yourself and the subject matter, which can be really hard when the subject matter is actually yourself and your own life. And I like to think that my writing is intensely personal but not confessional. I think that might sound a bit contradictory, but I I do believe there's a distinction there. And I think it's important to both reveal and withhold at the same time. So one of my favourite essayists, Andrew Monson, he speaks of a writer friend of his as being, quote, in a way transparent, a vulnerability artist. And that's the sort of space that I'm really trying to inhabit. But I think a willingness to be vulnerable doesn't have to rely on a kind of blow-by-blow expose. That sort of tell-all style of life writing has that's given rise to that sort of term misery memoir is something I really want to try and distance my work from. I do consciously work at crafting a voice and image and imagery that's got a delicate touch and I like to try and allude to trauma and sadness rather than dwelling and leaning into them. Marie, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I suppose I'd just like to put in a quick plug for the personal essay as a form. Uh, It's the mode I've always worked in, but it hasn't really enjoyed the popularity in Australia that it's got in the Northern Hemisphere, though there are a few signs that that's changing. I think when people hear the word essay, it conjures sort of horror high school memories and people expect something really dry and analytical and detached. But the original meaning of the French word essay is simply about trying and testing. And I love the sense of capaciousness within that word and within the essay genre. There's no rules about um, the form that that trial or test can take. And my essays try to sort of slide across and through different modes. So I use poetic imagery, personal narrative and cultural theory and blur and bounce them off one another. I think importantly as well, the essay never makes any demands for a clear narrative arc or neat resolution, which is, in my opinion, probably why it's the perfect vehicle for exploring those sort of muddy waters of life and self and memory. I'm sure I'm not the only one who struggles to see where my life is going or sometimes where it's been. Um, I think humans just don't fit into neat, recognisable patterns, and I believe the personal essay form not just allows for that, but really celebrates it. Marie, best of luck with your writing and with the award. We've been hearing from Marie O'Rourke, who is shortlisted for the 2022 City of Fremantle Hungerford Award. To discover whether Marie wins the award, we'd love to have you join us at the ceremony which takes place at Fremantle Arts Centre on Thursday the 20th of October. I will be there, as will the who's who of the West Australian literary community. Tickets are free and available now from the Fremantle Press website or Eventbrite. I'm Maria Pappas, author of Skimming Stones, and I've been your host for the Fremantle Press Hungerford podcast series. Thank you for listening.